the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. The fast pace of today's world is creating a silent epidemic that's impacting our physical and emotional well-being. According to today's guest, Dr. Paul Knapper, our accelerated lifestyles, always on technology, and ever-increasing job demands have created a tsunami of overwhelm and anxiety. Dr. Knapper warns that we've lost our agency, which is the ability to deal with stress and act as an effective agent for ourselves. Dr. Knapper leads a management psychology practice and is a co-author of the book, The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a Life on Your Own Terms. Welcome, Dr. Knapper. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. So, Doctor, this is really a, a very important topic because it's been reported that two of every three Americans say that they are extremely or somewhat anxious. How is the way that we're living today impacting our well-being? Well, as everybody knows, we live in a, a much faster-paced society than we did 20 years ago, and it continues to accelerate. So whether you're in business and trying to adapt to changing uh, customer demands or you are simply um, working from your home, people are aware that things are moving much, much faster. We are expected to be available uh, to communicate almost instantaneously most hours of the day and night, and there's information simply coming at us at all hours. So one strength of our culture as Americans is we, we say yes to new things. So, you know, we embrace the new. And, and for the most part, that's worked well for us. However, in today's culture, too much of a good thing is, is sometimes not a good thing. And people are, as you said, simply experiencing overwhelm on a, on a much more frequent basis than is healthy and, and optimal. So I started doing this work. I work with uh, business leaders in Fortune 500 companies and some smaller companies as well. Um, and you know, when I first started doing this work 20 years ago, I rarely heard people saying to me, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by what I'm facing. I'm overwhelmed by the demands being placed on me. Uh, today, I hear it every day. So we started thinking about what, what is going on here and what is the effect of all this anxiety and overwhelm on people. And what we found is it's compromising people's capacity to make good decisions for themselves, to, to make healthier choices and, and to make um, decisions that create the lives they want they most want to create. So that's where agency comes in because agency is a, re a very robust concept. And it essentially is about the human capacity to make choices, uh, to, to make a decision regardless of, of your circumstances. And I think what a lot of people feel today is that they don't have uh, the ability to choose, uh, the freedom to fully to choose. So many people feel constrained in making choices. And again, with the heightened anxiety and overwhelm, you know, there's a lot of fear that drives their decision making. So so you see a lot of people just <clears throat> silently suffering um, these days. It's really how can we as human beings make the best choices in our lives, despite the fact that everything has sped up so much and we're so overstimulated. We're all just trying to create lives that are meaningful and healthy and happy for ourselves. Um, and uh, that's really under threat today. So, Doctor, when we're experiencing all of this anxiety and overwhelm and we're feeling trapped and we're living in fear and, and doing 
doing all of the things that you just described. And we're trying to ignore the way we're feeling because of the very feelings we're having. Why is that a bad idea? What happens to us when we try to stuff it or ignore it? Well, it it doesn't get better. Obviously, it gets worse. And I think what a lot of people, I notice this in business quite a bit, many of my clients in business, um, these are strong people um, who uh, try to gut it out and, you know, just grind through it. But what I found is that when people aren't being honest about what they're actually facing and and dealing with, and, and they don't address it, they just postpone the inevitable. So I start seeing physical health um, deteriorating in clients who ignore it. They they're, they're, they become depressed over time if, if they ignore it for too long. So I think it's, 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 it's a good time to just honestly face, how is my life going? Um, an agency, personal agency, begins with that, that capacity to take a step back, take a brief time out, and reflect on where you find yourself, and, and honestly assess, how is my life going? How am I feeling about this? How am I feeling about my work? How am I feeling about my family life? How am I feeling about where, we, where I live? Um, and, you know, really doing that kind of uh, check-in and being honest about the answer, and then, and then finding some people to talk about it with, you know, finding a trusted um, loved one, counselor, or co-worker, whomever it is, and just being honest. And, and I see a lot of executives doing that these days. And these are these are very high-achieving people. And they, they are opening up and saying, you know, I, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by what's on my plate. And how do, how do I address this? What do I do about it? So I think that that's the, the bottom line. I took your online test at powerofagency.com and I fell in the middle ground when it comes to controlling stimuli that I expose myself to. And, and to be honest, I would agree with that. You write about a high agency person. What does that person look like and what does he or she do differently? Great question. Um, first, um, in terms of you, your score on the control stimuli subtest um, uh, in, our, in our test, you did better than most people. Most people are doing, you know, really struggle with that. And controlling stimuli is, is, is the place that we start with people who want to gain a higher level of agency in their lives. Um, because what you allow into your mind largely determines how you feel. It determines how you think. And so when people do a better job of, of being aware of how much stimulation they allow into their lives, and we're talking primarily digital stimulation here, and when they make choices about how to limit that or, or get the optimal amount of stimulation, um, they do better. They feel better and they think better. So you're ahead of the game, Joan, because most people from our research really are, are not doing a, a great job at, at managing and controlling the amount of stimulation they expose themselves to in, in the course of, of an average day. So what does a high agency person look like? Well, you know, first of all, agency is situational. So what, what my level of agency is, how, how I feel in terms of you know, my own level of personal agency is going to vary somewhat depending on the situation. But a, a person who, who feels a high level of, of personal agency feels grounded, feels uh, centered, uh, feels that they um, have options. They, they, they feel a sense of what we call a high internal locus of control as opposed to an external locus of control. And those are you know, psychological terms that refer to how a person feels about themselves in the world. A high locus of control or, or internal locus of control rather means that I feel like I have the capacity to make this decisions in my life and act on the environment that I'm a part of. A person with external locus of control feels like the environment really has the upper hand and the external environment is largely dictating uh, what I'm able to do and the choices I'm able to make. So high, a person with high agency feels like most all the time they do have a, an internal locus of control. They, have an, they always have the capacity to make a choice in, in regardless of the situation. Sometimes they may, you know, so the choices may be somewhat limited. They may not be always the best or easiest choices, but there's always a choice. And what I found, what we found in our research is that more and more people are feeling constrained in terms of what's available to them in terms of the choices they can make in their lives. They, they, in other words, they feel carried. They feel like they're being carried along um, by life, by, by the, the external environment. And so what we want to remind people of is, 
hey, you do have, you, you always have this thing we call agency within you. It's your capacity to reflect on your situation and make a choice. And we forget that sometimes. We get so caught up in the moment, and particularly when we're overwhelmed, we, we lose track of that. So the book is really designed to help people, you know, gain hold of that again and build it, you know, to a higher higher level so that they actually are making you know, healthier choices each each and every day. Doctor, where does our agency come from? Is it from the subconscious programming that uh, you know, of everything we've experienced throughout our life? Is it something that's innate? It's a great question, and 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 a, and a pretty deep one, um, actually. I mean, you know, we noticed that among children, right, young children, they almost seem programmed, right? They they come into the world, they they want to learn, they want to uh, grow, uh, they want to be able to to walk and and talk, and do all kinds of things, but. They also um, need to be taught. They need to learn from from other people, and so we can say that there is an innate human capacity for agency, uh, which again is the, this capacity to make good, rational choices in in one's life. Um, but it does need to be developed. So. In other words, um, you know, how we think as human beings has a lot to do with our level of agency in our lives. It has a lot to do with the, the kind of lives we end up creating for ourselves. So agency does need to be developed, but there's an innate human desire for agency. We all want to feel like we're captains of our of our own ships, that we can, you know, sail through any kind of uh, sea and, and navigate our lives. In, in a healthy, positive way. So there is this innate human desire uh, for agency. And agency feels good. When we exercise personal agency in our lives, it feels good. We feel like we've, uh, we've, we're, we're part of something. We're engaged. We feel a, a sense of personal power. We feel a sense of confidence in our, in our ability to, to make good decisions. Um, and so, you know, and that's really what has to be developed is is the capacity to form good social relationships with other people, a capacity to manage our emotions and beliefs, and our capacity to to think both um, you know intuitively and to think more logically and analytically. And so, what's interesting, agency is never taught really specifically to students, for example, um, but you know it is taught in, more indirectly because at the end of the day, our success as people depends on our capacity to adapt, our, uh, to adapt to change, of course, and as change accelerates around us, agency becomes a really critical part of the equation because without it, we're not going to be able to effectively adapt um, to to the environment around us. And that's where we see a lot of people falling, you know, falling down um, is, is right there. And that's why we're seeing such elevated uh, levels of anxiety. As you said earlier, Joan, you know, 20% of Americans uh, carry around a, a clinical diagnosis of, of anxiety disorder. 20%. It's an enormous number. And there are many, many millions more who are just undiagnosed, who, who really are, are, are operating with, you know, extremely high levels of anxiety each, each and every day. And that's debilitating. And it's no fun. And it also compromises their ability to make good choices and to navigate their lives, you know, in, in a healthier way. Doctor, can you explain a feedback loop and how it relates to agency? Yeah, this gets into something that's quite important because agency, which is another another way of describing it, is our, our capacity to be effective agents for ourselves or you know to connect with our power, our internal power. It largely depends on socially who we're connected to. So when we are connected to and expose ourselves to other people who are healthy, who are positive, people who, whom we can learn from, people who might challenge us to think differently uh, at, at times, um, our level of agency increases. If, if we surround ourselves with people who give us messages that we're not, we're not enough, we're not good enough, uh, um, or that we um, are incapable 
or we're unattractive or any of those kinds of negative sort of you get into a negative feedback loop it really starts to affect how someone sees themselves and it affects their love it ultimately can affect their level of agency and what we see today is we're exposed to so many messages now um, you know it's, we're living in uncharted territory um, many people don't realize that because it's sort of like that frog in the boiling pot of water the water just gets gets hotter and hotter on the stove and, and the frog doesn't, you know, just notices it just slowly getting warmer, but it's all of a sudden when it gets super hot that the frog is extremely uncomfortable and want, you know, wants to jump out of the pot. And it's kind of like that's where we are as a society. I think people are just starting to get more aware of the kinds of messages that they're receiving and, and the effects of those messaging. So the negative feedback loop that you refer to is when people take in a message and, you know, if, if they're receiving a negative message or a message they're interpreting negatively, over time, that negative feedback loop gets worse and they're apt to spread that. So, so that person is apt to um, feel badly about themselves and they may, in their next interaction with another person, spread that negativity to that other person. So when it comes to anxiety, one of the things we, we, we like to stress to people that's really a critical thing to understand is anxiety is socially contagious. So if I'm extremely anxious, you're going to pick up on it and you're going to start feeling anxiety as well. So we do spread anxiety around. We also spread other feelings around as well. I think a lot of times people aren't aware of that and they, they may not be aware of the messaging too, That especially you know younger folks who spend a lot of time on social media report, you know, feeling in some ways less than a lot. They, they look at the lives that are portrayed on social media, these idealized lives, and they compare themselves to, to, to what they see, the images, which of course aren't entirely real, and they feel badly about themselves. So, so there's, a lot of, there's a lot of messaging out there today that people need to be more critical consumers of and, and frankly need to move away from, move away from messaging that makes people feel um, less important or less powerful or less attractive. It's, it's just simply not a good idea to expose yourself to, to that type of stuff. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more because I actually went through that with social media when I went through some personal life challenges. And I started to realize that what everyone is showing is what I call their A role. You know, it's the A game, but that's not everyday life. And I love one of your recommendations where you say to limit the time you spend on social media. It casts you in the role of a passive bystander in other people's lives, not as a director of your own life. Spend more time in your own life. And I think that that is such fantastic advice to spend more time in our own life. Absolutely. And, and spend time in real relationships, uh, you know, relationships in real time and relationships that are that are helpful to you that, again, allow you to to grow and learn and experience yourself in new ways. Because I think that's the other thing about social media is, you know, it generates a lot of feelings in people, but it, 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 it's a, it is more passive. And, you know, it's unlike a um, a real relationship in real time where you you actually can see the person you develop good social skills because you're you're you know you're engaging with that other person and we've we were finding in 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 many uh, work situations that you know younger folks who have been on social media a lot to to the point where they've excluded or limited the amount of real-time connectedness, real-time social relationships, that they show up in the workplace and their social skills aren't well-developed. So they struggle, right? They struggle with how to uh, work in a collaborative way with, you know, with a, a wide range of different people. And, you know, they really have to uh, embark on kind of a remedial education, a catch-up, as it were, um, because their their social skills have not developed. It's, you know, so it's a very, you know, social media is is, is absolutely fine. But as you said, we, we liken it to, you know, having some potato chips, right? You know, we wouldn't ever sit down with 10 bags, large bags of potato chips and just 
just continue eating and eating until we we can't eat anymore. We're saying it's a useful thing to have a a portion of of potato chips and enjoy those, right? And then that's it. And the same thing with social media. You need to set some limits on it. You need to recognize it for what it is. And it's it's a relatively new thing in our society, right? We're still learning about it and learning about its positive and negative aspects. And I think people need to be a bit more sophisticated in consuming this digital stuff because it has a direct impact on how you feel about yourself. Um, and, and a lot of times it, it seeps in it, it, it slowly and and you don't even realize it's happening. Have a balance in your life. You know, make sure that you have healthy social relationships. And, you know, by definition, you know, social media, it's, it's not entirely real, right? It's just, it's just not. That's, that's the reality. The book is The Power of Agency, The Seven Principles to Conquer Obstacles, Make Effective Decisions, and Create a Life on Your Own Terms. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Knapper and his work, you can visit powerofagency.com. Dr. Knapper, thank you so much for joining us and for teaching us about the power of agency and how it can help us regain control of our lives and create the life that we want to live. Well, thanks for having me on, Joan, and, and congratulations on your show. Just You could do great stuff and, and help lots and lots of people. So thanks again for having me on. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. us today is Lori Gardner, a registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. Lori assists people with all aspects of their health care. She's here today to talk about obtaining medical care during the pandemic. Welcome, Lori. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Joan, for having me today. Lori, months ago when the coronavirus hit, people were forced to cancel medical exams and procedures. Now, all of these months later, many still have not resumed their care. What do you see happening? Are people beginning to get the medical care they need? Well, Joan, we are seeing that people are starting to get the care they need, but there still exists a level of fear in many people, especially now with the surge of cases and heading into flu season in the winter months. Uh, We blogged about some scary statistics months ago during the first wave, which I think are worthy of discussing again here. During that first wave of the pandemic, uh, we had... um, noted a survey of nine major hospitals that reported that the number of severe heart attacks being treated in this country in the hospitals had dropped by nearly 40% since the pandemic started. Pretty astounding. This had led to physicians being concerned that the patients are not going to the ER for um, any emergencies and they're waiting too long to get the attention they need, which caused potentially permanent damage or even worse. And then another alarming statistic was that EMTs in New York City were reporting a quadrupling of house calls for cardiac symptoms between March 30th and April 5th. In most of those cases, Joan, the patient couldn't even be resuscitated. They were so, so, so sick. Some of the cases could have been due to COVID-19, sure, but others may have been due to untreated heart problems and strokes. So the the bottom line is with reopen protocols, Joan, they are starting to get the, the elective procedures and the screenings that had been put off. So you were just saying that people had stop doing it and, and now they're starting to do it more. But we, we still have that fear of going to a hospital. So why is it so important for us to maintain our regular screenings? Great question. Uh, I'd like to address the importance of both the preventative screenings and getting those elective procedures. 
Now, go back to the beginning of the wave, and the reason these elective procedures were postponed was that mainly they, we needed to conserve the use of medical supplies such as masks, gowns, and ventilators, and also, obviously, to stop the spread of COVID-19 cases. Uh, now, we have a much better handle on the supplies as well as how safely we can separate COVID-19 cases from non-COVID cases. And really important, we have a better understanding of how to treat COVID-19 cases. So we're definitely way up a notch in terms of how we can handle it. So in general, by postponing screenings and elective procedures indefinitely, there is the possibility that a person's health condition could worsen and have serious long-term effects. Just a couple of facts. Epic Health Network found that cancer screenings across the U.S. dropped by 86 to 94% in March 2020 compared to March 2019. That is staggering. In a Wall Street Journal article um, this past October, researchers at United Health Group reported in early April that mammograms dropped by as much as 95%. So these declining mammogram screenings can have a negative effect on breast cancer detection. And most researchers will feel that these undetected breast cancers can advance rapidly and result in a delay in diagnosis and treatment options, which is true for other cancers also. So it's just vital that we continue on with our medical care. So Lori, to put someone's mind at ease, would you say that it's safe now to do these types of tests? Well, you know, Joan, even though healthcare providers, as I said before, they've received the green light from state government and the CDC, many patients are still hesitant to schedule a surgery. They still think there's potential for exposure. Uh, they're not sure if hospitals are clean enough, if the protocols are up to, up to date. But according to the guidelines in these reopen protocols, hospitals and these ambulatory surgery centers need to provide very clear protocols. So if the patient person is concerned, they can ask some um you know, they can look at five things that these, these centers are doing. One is they conduct preoperative COVID testing for all patients. They do a daily screening of all the staff for signs and symptoms, and that's another good um, protective feature. They also have adequate supply of personal protective equipment, also known as PPE. They um, definitely are following meticulous cleaning and disinfection protocols for patient care equipment environments. I've been in the system. I've seen it. They're swapping down everything. They're taking amazing precautions. And of course, following social distance protocols. So it is felt, I do feel, I've walked into the system a couple of times since COVID. I do feel that um, these these safety um, parameters are effective and we are safe to get in there and get our surgery and screening. Lori, what advice do you offer when it comes to our health care during this time? I think the most important thing, Joan, is that we all have to stay in close contact with our uh, provider, our doctor. Maybe it's our primary care physician because they're our point guard. It is important to discuss if you've missed any screener, screenings or elective procedures, as well as report to him or her if you've had any new or concerning symptoms. You can also schedule a telemedicine visit in the safety and comfort of your home, which is safe, and go over all this and have an actual telemed visit. We've had a great telemed visits with ourselves, our clients, and a lot can get done. But in, in closing, I'm going to provide eight questions that you can ask if you're still really concerned, okay? One is, when and where should I be tested for COVID-19? This is important because it can vary from facility to facility, and don't sway if they say you have to come to the hospital to do their testing. That's essential because they have a little bit of a more efficiency in getting the return on that COVID test result. If you go somewhere else, it may not be um, done that quickly. Another question is, should I be self-isolating after I have my pre-surgical or procedural um, COVID-19 test? Absolutely. You want to minimize your exposure. You get your COVID-19 test. You stay home for that five or six days before you have the procedure. Another question, should I report if I've been in contact or exposed to anyone with COVID-19? Yes, absolutely. Report that to your physician. They will decide next steps if you need to delay your or postpone that uh, procedure. They will make that decision with and for you. Another question is, can my family come to the hospital with me? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. It would only be one person. It depends on the hospital's policy and the CDC guidelines at the time. Just have to check ahead of time. And both, of course, would have to be screened for COVID-19 as well. Five, what can I bring with me to the hospital? Well, the advice now is as little as possible. So just bring yourself, comfortable loose, in comfortable loose clothing, an identification, insurance card, cell phone, and charger. Is it safe at the hospital being screened for COVID-19 regularly? Yeah, the hospital and ambulatory care centers are required to screen their staff daily. So that is, that is a safe um, feature that you can be um, assured of. And 
another question is, are hospitals cleaning and disinfecting patient equipment and rooms regularly? Absolutely. They have cleaning protocols set forth by the CDC, and they only can use approved disinfectant. So I think that protocol is, is reliable. And lastly, the question is, you can um, have the staff and educate on the protocols to prevent the spread of COVID-19. This has been going on for many, many months. They're very, very aware of this. They are practicing and observed to be practicing all of the right things as far as meticulous hand washing for 20 seconds, using PPE, universal masking, social distancing, and cleaning and protecting. So at the end of the day, Joan, I do say that having walked through the system myself personally and professionally, I say that there's plenty of precautions being taken and be sure to do your own homework and get make sure that they have provided you the protocols and the answers to your questions according to what we just spoke about. Lori, thank you so much for joining us. We're all going through so much today that we've never experienced before, and the guidance that you provided can really help us stay healthy, so thank you. If you would like to get more information about Lori and her work, you can visit healthlinkadvocates.com. That's healthlinkadvocates.com. And as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lori. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. A new survey shows that more than one-third of teens don't expect to be financially independent of their parents by age 30. Joining us to talk about how parents can help their kids achieve economic success is Ed Graholsky, Senior Vice President Brand at Junior Achievement USA. Welcome, Ed. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Joan. So, Ed, a survey that was conducted by Junior Achievement and Citizens Bank shows that teens lack confidence when it comes to achieving financial goals. What are some of the factors that you believe contribute to the inability of our kids to achieve financial independence? Well, I think one of the challenges is that kids don't um, often have the opportunity to actually manage money. Um, you know, sometimes the parents will just provide them money to go buy things. And so kids really have to be given an opportunity to create budgets, to save, to, to set financial goals and, and work to achieve them. And so that's certainly one of the things that we would encourage uh, parents to do with their kids if they have an allowance or if they have some sort of outside income to really encourage them to, to take those steps to, to plan for the future. I think one of the benefits that I've experienced in my life, I'm the child of depression parents. So I was always raised with the, it was always drilled in me, the importance of saving and of being frugal and living within your means. And I think that I was able to instill that in in my kids. And fortunately, they're financially independent. But I think it was because, like you're saying, I started savings accounts for them when the time they were christened. And from that point on, every time they earned money, I took them to the bank and I encouraged them to make that deposit. And I think they started to get excited when they would see that number go up. So do you recommend doing something similar to get our kids started at a very early age? Uh, absolutely. I think any opportunity you have to have kids uh, work with money in a savings account is a great way to start that. The other thing that we found from uh, the survey is there's been a year-over-year increase in the percentage of kids who are actually earning money outside of the house through a job, for example. And of those that have jobs, they're more inclined to actually have a bank account. And so there is a correlation between the ability to earn money and the willingness to learn how to manage it. So in addition to a bank account, what are some other options? What are some other ways that kids can save? Well, you know, one of the things that we found from the survey is there are a lot of kids out there that are doing unbanked saving, you know, in shoebox, piggy bank. I mean, for younger kids, that's certainly a good way to to start doing things. The other thing is to, um, we're trying to encourage um, young people to really start thinking about, um, you know, once they're out of high school, once they have their first job, uh, you know, learning about what a Roth IRA is, for example, or, um, you know, that employers can offer a 401k and really get them to think about what it would take to start putting money into it once they, they hit the job market um, from, from day one versus what typically happens is people wait until they're 
in the early 30s, then they get serious about it. We really want people to, we really want kids to start thinking about once you get out there and really have your first job, start taking those initial steps, start putting away for the future. There are a lot of people today that are struggling financially, a lot of adults, and they may not be the best savers. And a lot of people are, to be honest, living outside of their means. So what example, what role do parents play in setting a good example for our kids? Well, it's interesting because from the survey, parents are the top um, source that teens go to in terms of finding out information about managing money. So obviously, depending on how well those those parents are able to manage money, that also influences how their kids view it. And so um, certainly as a parent, um, I think it's important that um, you know folks get information in terms of you know what responsible money management looks like and, and really impart those lessons on their kids um, because kids really do go to their parents. They role model their parents first and, and foremost. Ed, where can our listeners go for more information? Uh, they can go to our website at ja.org, or we also have a, a resource for teenagers, uh, jamyway.org. Ed, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Joan. We'll be right back. This has been a stressful year of twists and turns. Did you know that there are essential oils that can help you navigate these stressful situations? Hi, I'm Jill Merriman, a doTERRA certified essential oil specialist. I love helping people improve their overall well-being by using doTERRA essential oils because they're safe, effective, and natural. These wholesale price products are pure, nothing added, nothing taken away. During these tough times, there is more emphasis placed on self-care as a way to keep our stress level low, our outlook positive, and our immune system strong. One of my favorite go-to doTERRA products is their calming blend called Adaptive. When stress and tension seem to be relentless, Adaptive Calming Blend is the perfect solution. Use Adaptive to help get comfortable with new surroundings or situations. When a big meeting is coming up or other important events, keep Adaptive Calming Blend on hand. Whether you're feeling fatigued or restless, indecisive or irritable, Adaptive Calming Blend is part of the toolbox to help the body and mind to stay balanced. What makes this citrusy floral blend exceptional is that it has some stress-relieving oils along with energizing and uplifting lifting oils. It calms you down and lifts your mood at the same time. And who couldn't use that during these hectic months? If you're interested in learning more on how essential oils can help you, contact me at jill at jillmerriman.com for a complimentary 30-minute wellness consultation. It is only when you learn how to be silent that you truly understand how to listen. And it is also true that you learn how to listen when you are able to transcend the noise and chaos of everyday life by coming into a state of inactivity and silence. It is in this state of quietude that you can access transcendent listening. Hi, I'm Allison Ayati, owner of Awakened Sound Health. What is transcendent listening? It is listening from a place of openness where you are beyond reactivity and free to experience wonder, mystery, and things beyond evidence and logic. Transcendent listening requires trust, patience, and the ability to be in the presence of your thoughts without passing judgment. That's a very tall order, but if you master the art of transcendent listening, then you can access your inner wisdom and guidance and begin to live your life from a place of peace. It is only through practice that you can become skilled and fluid in the art of silence and transcendent listening. Therapeutic sounds can bring you into a state of deep relaxation, clarity, and stillness. Sound therapy may be an effective means of practicing transcendent listening because it can take you into a meditative state where your mind is unrestricted. The infinite mind is where transcendent listening takes place. To learn more about sound therapy or to book an appointment, go to awakensoundhealth.com. Sound therapy is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention. Start the year defining your priorities and with a plan to stress less. Hi, this is Angela Vlakonchik, and I'm a stress management specialist from Bridge Management Consulting, offering teachable stress management skills. Taking time to reflect and look at your life, what's working and what's not, is important. So how can you stress less in the new year? First of all, be true to yourself. Be honest. Take out a notepad and see how you're doing with your mind, body, and soul. What can you do to bring balance back into your life? Is there any area that's taking over? And what area needs more attention? Then, instead of a to-do list, create a being list. Who do I want to be? What do I want in my life? For example, I want to be calm, 
appreciative, funny, generous, items that you personally value and want in your life. Write down everything that comes to you first and then what actions you can take to bring that into your life. For example, I want to be more appreciative. So what I'm going to do is verbally compliment people who are helping me. I want to be more calm. So the first 15 minutes of the day, I'll spend in quiet reflection. These are just a few tips on how you can bring about the new year that you desire. For more info on stress management seminars and workshops, visit bridgemanagementconsulting.com. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, search for Conversations with Joan, and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. What happens when a vision of creative freedom, courageous risk-taking, and good timing come together? According to Paul O'Brien, the answer is a life filled with success on your own terms. Paul teaches a process for making the best decisions with an ever-improving sense of timing. He's the author of Intuitive Intelligence, Make Life-Changing Decisions with Perfect Timing. Welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Paul... Decision-making is an important skill, but many of us are not very good at it. Why do you believe that is the case? Why do we have so much trouble making decisions? Well, we go wrong in a, by uh, being too emotional and impulsive uh, and, and being guided by strong feelings in the moment, on the one hand. And on the other hand, we uh, can be um, sidetracked by thinking too much and overanalyzing and procrastinating and waiting for more information and, and thereby missing a window of opportunity. So we've got to find the sweet spot between those two, and that's where intuition comes in. So your book is entitled Intuitive Intelligence. What does that mean, intuitive intelligence? Well, intuition is the ability to uh, acquire knowledge without recourse to conscious reasoning. It's kind of a direct route, um, and, and different meanings can range from uh, direct access to unconscious knowledge, uh, inner sensing, inner insight, unconscious pattern recognition, etc. I think of intuition as a delicate little antenna, along with the five senses, which are big antenna, that's bringing in information uh, from uh, outside of ourselves, and in particular from a, a, a resource that I call infinite intelligence, which Carl Jung called the collective unconscious. So you can think of your intuition as a, del as a tiny little antenna. It's sort of like tuning in uh, a ham radio back in the 50s. You know, you want to you get that signal from Bora Bora. You've got to very carefully tune that in to get that frequency and avoid all the noise on the line. And that's our problem. There's too much noise. Mm -hmm. There's information bombarding us on every front. Half of it is just erroneous. And our senses are being uh, stimulated on every possible front for the sake of turning us into consumers or whatever. And so it's very difficult to get the noise out of the system or to calm down. So I have techniques in the book, Intuitive Intelligence, on how to do that so that we can access uh, intuition when we need it the most. It's that voice inside of us. I mean, most of us get that feeling when we have to make a decision. And, and you know, we kind of know what we should be doing, but for whatever reason, we don't follow that. We don't tune in. So could you share one of your techniques with us? Well, for instance, I have a thing in the book I call O'Brien's Law, kind of half-jokingly, and it goes like this. The stronger the feeling, the less trustworthy it is when it comes to making a strategic decision. Now, this is completely flabbergast most people because most people assume, well, if, it ha if I have a really strong feeling, that's an indicator of that's the way that I should go. And as I point out in the book, most strong feelings like fear or anger or or jealousy or craving um, are really the product of the ego, and they're not um, they're not necessarily uh, a, a good uh, criteria for decision making at all. In other words, we're, we're liable to make a very bad decision in the heat of the moment. And so, in the book, I I have exercises for calming down and for letting mindfulness, uh, doing some mindfulness practices in order to give the intuitive sense. A, a chance to be heard because the feelings that come from uh, intuitive sensing are never really 
overpowering. There, it's kind of a subtle uh, feeling. A gut feeling is not going to just knock you over. So the first step is we have to get access, and the way to get access is to get the noise out of the system. Uh, and there's several techniques I have in the book. I've got many different chapters on this, on how to be mindful of synchronicities, and how to contemplate them, and how to uh, use divination in order to uh, um, stimulate the intuition. So that's the trick. You can't force intuition to happen when you want it, and it's not going to be in the form of a really strong feeling. So you've got to buy yourself some time, and you've got to give your, your, your intuitive intelligence some space. Paul, you just mentioned the word divination. What does that mean? Well, divination are these ancient techniques for stimulating the intuition to think outside the box around problems that logic can't handle. There's a lot of problems in life that logic can't handle, like relationships or timing issues. But different forms of divination systems are tarot cards is one form. The I Ching, which is the one that I have used my entire adult life, which is uh, called the Book of Changes in Chinese, is another one. And these are often confused as uh, being fortune-telling systems, but they're not. These are ways to use a set of archetypes, and these are configurations of human energetic patterns that we all have inside of us. So if you have a problem that logic can't handle and you want to get uh, some input from outside uh, the realm of the rational brain, you might, you know, use one of these systems and out of, outside of the realm of black and white thinking because there's always more than two solutions to any problem. And basically by reading between the lines re- relative to whatever issue you brought to it, you might get a new idea. It's certainly going to take you outside the realm of your ego because these systems don't really care about your ego. They just basically want to reflect uh, the energy that you bring to them. You write about finding the perfect timing for decision-making. How can we learn to tell when it is the right time? Well, that's where intuitive intelligence comes in because there's two questions that you have to answer if you're contemplating a major change in life. And these are the kind of decisions I'm writing about in the book. And the two questions are the what question and the when question. The what question, logic can help with that. That's the question that um, that asks. That, that's the question. What is the best move to make? What is the best next move I might make? And the, the when question is the timing question. And when should I execute that? The difficulty with timing and why the expression "timing is everything" has been around for so long is because um, it's entirely intuitive. The timing question is 100, almost 100 percent intuitive. And so, the better your intuitive intelligence gets the better that your timing is going to get, and, and so you're going to make the right moves at the right time. That's not an easy thing to do. So you've got to cultivate intuitive intelligence to be able to do that. The book is Intuitive Intelligence, Make Life-Changing Decisions with Perfect Timing. If you would like to get more information about Paul and his work, you can visit divination.com. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Do you see the value in what you have? I recently made a virtual presentation to a group, and after I was done presenting, we had a discussion about interpersonal relationships. During our conversation, many people expressed concern about how easily they are being replaced. They felt like there was no value given to them and or a relationship by a friend, partner, family member, or employer. Hearing so many people express the same feeling made me start to wonder if we have become a society of disposables. It reminded me of an expression my mother used to say, out with the old and in with the new. This is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. It's time to see the value in what you have. It seems like just about every aspect of our life today is disposable. We throw away televisions, computers, clothing, phones, food, furniture, and so much more. By contrast, when I was growing up, we fixed everything. There was a neighborhood television repairman. We ate leftovers for dinner. We took our shoes to the local shoemaker for new heels. Baby diapers were cloth, and appliances were kept until they could no longer be repaired. We drove the same car until it died on the road, and marriages lasted until death do us part. While it is true that we have more conveniences and opportunities than our parents and grandparents, I believe our ancestors had something that many of us lack the ability to attach to and appreciate what they had. 
Today we want immediate gratification. If it's broken, an old model, or not working the way we want, we simply throw it out and replace it with something new, something shiny and upgraded. Is it possible that we are carrying our new disposable mentality into our relationships? How many people do you know that cut off contact with someone with whom they had a disagreement? They end the relationship and find someone new to fill the void. How many marriages suffer from infidelity because of boredom or not having a particular need met? One spouse moves on to someone new and creates a new family, often breaking ties with their old partner and even their children. How many employers replace or demote an employee for a minor infraction without giving that person a second chance? They hire a replacement. If any of these scenarios sound familiar to you, and I know they do to me, Perhaps it's time to examine how we interact with others. Are we looking for a quick fix? Would we be willing to cut someone out of our life because we are angry? Are we considering replacing a spouse or have already done so before exploring every avenue to repair the relationship? Would we fire an employee without giving it a second thought? If you believe you may have adopted a disposable mentality, Now's the time to make a change. Start nurturing your relationships. Put in the time and do the necessary work. Nothing worth having comes easily. Appreciate and value what you have, material items and relationships, and stop keeping an open eye looking for something better. Empathize with others before taking action. Repair something before tossing it in the trash. If you feel like someone who has been replaced, remember, we can't change or control other people and how they behave, but we can change our behavior. We can change the way we respond and the way we treat others. And little by little, perhaps, our treatment of others may just start a movement in a more positive direction. Who knows? One day, we may learn to treasure the old and forget the new. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiring tips, visit joanherman.com. In a moment, cancer changed our lives forever. At this moment, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is saving lives with pioneering research and care. And we'll never have to pay St. Jude for anything, ever. At this moment, she wants to be in her own bed. I want to be back at school with my friends. I want to be outside playing. Please take a moment and visit stjude.org today. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.